Hey everybody, welcome to the Ask LFC podcast. Great to be with you. This is podcast number 47. We're moving on up. This is Mike Moses, lead and founding pastor of Lake Forest Church. And today I am with... Jeff Cook, community pastor. Great to have you, Jeff. Um, Today, because we're going to talk about a, a super important question about warfare in the Old Testament. Jeff... We chose something super unique, and you've been partnering with me and the other preachers and leading other people through this in various uh, formats. Um, what what have you think? What do you think has been unique about our church choosing to go through the Bible, the whole story in a whole year? Sure. Uh, so the thing that's been fun for me on the preaching standpoint is that really, anytime you're delivering a message, you got two two things you're trying to do. You want to kind of explain the practical application of what we're learning from Scripture. But you need to paint that in the picture of the larger story, uh, the whole story, if you will. (laughs) Um, But because we're we're literally framing everything in the whole story, it creates kind of like, for me as a preacher at least, uh, a freedom Mm -hmm. almost to know that I can really dig deep on what it is that God's saying, and it will definitely connect to the larger story. I've enjoyed knowing that you know, sometimes uh, uh, that each week we're not doing a um, sort of a slant view of any of these passages, uh, which is also interesting and appropriate sometimes. So we're going to take a, we're going to hone in on a detail of Jesus' interaction with somebody or David and, and a, like a, maybe a character development issue in David's life. In this series, every one of the passages we, we're doing the direct most main point because it advances the whole story of God's plan. Mm-hmm. That's been actually um, a joy for me as a preacher. Yeah. I, I will also say the way we've been doing it as a church with the readings in between, the use of Bible journey, the groups doing it, there is so much, and I know you'll resonate with this, there's so much you want to say about a passage that you, just, you don't have time to do it. Yeah. Um, but so it's been great to know that some of the beautiful details in the background, people have got those even before we start preaching, yeah. uh, which has been a lot of fun. Especially those choosing Bible journey. And if, and if you've been hesitant to do that, I, I encourage you just download it, pay the 38 bucks. You'll have it for a whole 12 months. Experiment with it. It's a different, different layer. I'm not going to say level of engaging God's word. I, um, I promise you'll thank Jeff Cook later if if you've been hesitant and you just go ahead and jump in this quarter. I got two uh, cool messages yesterday, Jeff, about this Bible reading plan, and it's been a helpful thing for people to be like, you know what, I'm going to do that with my whole church since they're doing it. A little extra motivation. Um, one, I heard from an empty nester couple in our church, and uh, one of their adult sons has, uh, since going away to college, has not taken steps to be in church or community to grow in faith. Not rejected the faith, but just like, yeah, peacing out for a while. Um, And came with his family from out of town to the Easter service, picked up one of the Bible reading plans, and then a few days later that week said, hey, by the way, Mom, I'm uh, I'm doing the Bible readings with y'all. I'm keeping up with it. And the mom said she she had to work real hard, and I'd be like, "Oh my gosh, that's so great! That's so great!" You know, mm-hmm. I, uh, we were joking as parents. the The best text response would have been, "I don't care," <laughs> <laughs> to keep him doing it anyway. Yeah. And then he texted them that he actually kept up with the sermon this past week. He's like, "I'm tracking with y'all." 
that's pretty cool. And then the other thing that I got was there's a a family at Lake Forest dealing with a profound cancer diagnosis and what is going to be an epic battle, honestly, Um, an uncertain battle. And they texted me a picture yesterday of uh, uh, this ministry partner starting his first round of chemo yesterday. And so all the stuff hooked up to him, and then his picture of he had his Bible reading plan and his Bible there open to judges, ready to jump in with the tribe. And I said, man, way to bring the, 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 the battle weapon of God's word mm-hmm. into this. And what, what a great picture. One of the things that I remember we were saying at the very beginning of 2021, like everyone is in such uncertainty mm-hmm. that like we who follow Jesus, like we have the gift of this thing that is the same and always will be. Yes. And what a perfect picture of bringing that like boots to the ground into your life. Yeah. Well, before we get into more of the whole story of God's Word, let's hear a tiny bit of the story of Jeff Cook's life. I believe you told me a month or so ago, looking into spring, that you had some yard plans because your yard, your kids love to play in the yard. You've got some mm-hmm. woods back there, but it's like this perpetual mud hole, and so you're going to try to make it a better place. So what, what did you do, yeah. and did that work out yet? Uh, so we're halfway there. So we okay. had a guy come, uh, built a great relationship with a local dude, uh, okay. actually from Huntington Green, who came over and put drains in, mm-hmm. like dug them underneath, drain boxes and pipes and stuff. The grass is just going to take a while to grow. Yeah. Uh, but, but in true cook fashion, uh, basically half of our backyard now is actually a playground mulch box ah. with trampoline and geodome and swings nice. I and mean, like you name it. Um, so that's been amazing because we can, I mean, days like yesterday, all five of the kids and both of the dogs are happily out back. <laughs> and I actually sat in my chair for 10 minutes. Nice. And, and they're not in a mud puddle requiring an hour of bathing and hosing off yep. on the way in. Well, nice. Well, thanks for that snapshot. Okay. Here, as promised, but a day late. We're dealing with, uh, if you did your Bible readings last week in the book of Joshua, this week in the book of Judges is a little different. The warfare in Judges is de- generally of a defensive nature. When they are, are captivated, like with Deborah, mm-hmm. in this case, they are seeking release from oppression. But in Joshua, a lot of it is offensive, and there's a lot of battle scenes in the book of Joshua. Um, and we just need to deal with that. Our community group last night was hungry to deal with this question. To some people were not troubled by it. They kind of trust God's overall plan, and there's always been war, and there always will be until Jesus comes back. Others highly troubled. Um, so let me start with something very plain. And Jeff and I are just going to trip through this question. Um, I don't have the ultimate answer, but I brought Jeff here today because he does. And so, Jeff, are you just going to save that for the end? Uh, yeah, well, at the very end, so you got to listen to the whole thing. Okay. Then you get Jeff is going to give the and That's why he's here, okay? I don't invite him too often because I don't want to let on that he pretty much always has the definitive answer, whereas <laughs> I just talk around stuff. Um, we're going to hit a number of different points that I would call, if you would picture a web, I would say this is a constellation or a web array of factors to consider that ameliorate our modern sensibilities uh, about the presence of warfare and God's people moving into the promised land. I'm not going to say they alleviate every concern. Jeff, for me, I I don't say that every question of mine is answered. I still have another book in my library on this subject that I'm going to reread this weekend. 
my own self. I'm going to continue. But so we're just going to talk. So, so picture some web connections, and maybe this whole web will be helpful to you as it is to me, friends. Um, so let's just state something plainly right up front, because some people really get this starting point wrong. The church is not ancient Israel. America is not ancient Israel. If Even if we were a Christian nation today or if we ever once were, we certainly are not today. We're not ancient Israel. Um, Israel had a unique place in history. It was a unique nation state. It was a theocracy, meaning that it was very much based on a rule of God as best as possible. Um, there was not a separation of church and state. It was not pluralistic. It was a place of one faith. And if you joined it, you converted to that faith. And there's a lot of stories of that. Um, and they had a unique mission. Their unique mission was God had formed a people. And this is how our incredible scholar leader, when Angie and I went to the Holy Land with some Lake Forest friends recently, you need to do that, yeah. uh, with some friends from here. Um, as he described it, God formed a people. And then he built a platform in meaning the place of Israel, the hill country, actually, a platform upon which he would now proclaim the Redeemer um, to the world. And so that's the big picture mission of God here. And the Israelites are experiencing it as a land promised to their forebear that some random other people, there's not a, a nation state there. It's some random collection of, not random, uh, of peoples and, and small petty kingdoms. Um, so reading Joshua, we're not them. It, doesn't, it was a unique mission. It does not in any way mean we are to enter real or political warfare against those that we know today caught up in idolatry or beliefs we don't agree with. That would be one way of getting the Bible extremely wrong. Jesus has not commissioned us to do anything like that in any way. Uh, one, one of the theological errors, I will call it a heresy, bouncing around in fundamentalist Christianity is something called theonomy. You ever dealt with that very much? Mm-mm, I much. tripped into that in some interesting circles of people in one of my churches and a few people here, which is that all of the Old Testament law applies here, and our goal is to turn our nation into a theocratic state under Old Testament law. Mm. That is an aberration and a, a, a heresy. Um uh, as uh, believed by the church for 2,000 years. So the church has made this mistake before, though. Uh, that gets you to atrocities like the Crusades, uh, which did not bring glory to God. The Crusades, a 1,000 years later, are a stumbling block for Muslims to hear the gospel down to today accurately. I, may I interrupt yeah. with a quick story? So when I was doing uh, homeless ministry, there's this one guy... Everybody New York him. City, right? Yep, in New York. Uh, everybody loved him, but dude, I mean, always fall out of his chair drunk. Um, and if you even said Jesus, he started, I mean, language I won't I won't repeat. Okay. Uh, and I found out after a little while that he actually, from Africa, he had seen his whole family slaughtered by, air quotes, Christian soldiers. And for years, that kept him mm-hmm. from hearing any kind of love from or for Jesus. Um, and it actually wasn't until, I know, modern-day America, but, like, God appeared to him in a dream. And that guy, Livingston was his name, uh, and he put his faith in Christ. Really? And literally, I mean, like, transformed life. Really? Crazy kind of thing you don't always hear about in the States. Was he of Muslim background? Uh, I don't, you know, I don't okay. actually know. Probably, I mean, that is how 
God is bringing Muslims to Himself to Jesus worldwide is through dreams. That, mm-hmm. Please continue. I just just to say that there is so much damage that is done when you too closely ally that kind of power yeah. with God uh, that any good that could come out of it, in my view, isn't going to outweigh the damage. Jeff, you that story illustrates something that I, I believe I would have hopefully referred to toward the end of our time today, which is this. There are people listening to our podcast today from inside the faith, like me. I'm wrestling with this question afresh. As I read Joshua, my own self, I'm wrestling with it. But from within inside the faith, I trust God primarily through the face of Jesus and the work of Jesus. And if you're wrestling with this question from outside the faith, like that man was, um, God knew that he needed to see who Jesus is that, so that he could trust the goodness of God and then come back and assimilate this part of the story. And that's what I would encourage you. If you're, if, if you're wrestling with this from outside the faith or you're wrestling with the faith, Put your emphasis on Jesus and then come back to this. Well, um, so I, I, here's one reason why I wanted Jeff and I to talk about this today is, is that um, uh, so we have a different calling than the ancient nation of Israel. Um, and then so you could ask the question, so then why are we studying this book? You know, like, mm-hmm. is it, does that mean it's irrelevant? Is it just history? Um, and... and it is, no, it's not irrelevant, and it's okay to study it for lessons like I'm, I'm going to teach at Westlake this weekend on Deborah, and I'll teach a couple of lessons about leadership. That's legitimate to get out of the book of Joshua and Judges. However, if we only read it for principles for living personally and we don't actually grapple with the history and God's involvement, then I think we're being intellectually dishonest, and that's why we're sitting here with you friends today. Um, so uh, so let, let's go into this. Um, uh, it's a legitimate question. Um, I, I think the greatest charge that some of the new atheists in particular make without diving into this exegetically or dealing with any of the nuanced questions is that this represents genocide. Well, if you hear someone saying that they haven't engaged the text or scholarship, that is a, a pastiche way of stiff-arming the actual real story here and true theology. And so I think as Jeff and I walk through a bunch of things, this web of, of our ways of grappling with this, I, I don't think that that charge sticks at all. But it is a legitimate question to respectfully ask what's going on here. Um, so let's just, let's just go through this a little bit. So th- there's this word that occurred. Uh, Jeff, I, I think you majored more in Old Testament and Hebrew studies than I did, and there's the word harem. How would that be pronounced um, that shows up frequently in, in Joshua? Uh, so honestly, I'd have to see it in Hebrew to Whoa. pronounce it properly. That's a very impressive answer. Uh, okay, I would have made something up because usually there's a ch yeah. involved. Well, so if, if it started with a chet, then it would be harem. But probably the emphasis would be on the second syllable, not the first because that's how a lot of the, the language was spoken. Okay, now you all know an entire other reason why Jeff Cook is one of our pastors here. We, we, we really do take seriously the a scholarship of trained clergy to handle God's Word in front of God's people. That's an important distinctive of the Presbyterian arm of the Christian faith and of Lake Forest within our sort of modern worshiping genre of Christianity. We take that very seriously. 
to be in touch with the historical interpretation and misinterpretations of God's word. So, so haram, excuse me, I, I shouldn't say that. Harem means the removal of something from human use. And, and you'll see it means devoted unto God or destroyed as another interpretation. Um, John Walton is a professor at Wheaton College, and he, he says this, quote, When harem object are destroyed, the purpose of the destruction is to make sure that nobody can use it. But not all harem objects are destroyed. So sometimes they are destroyed. Um, so for example, uh, at one point in Joshua, it says, Joshua, go destroy blah, 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 a bunch of cities in the north. Uh, and it says, Harem, devote them unto the Lord. But in the text and in archaeological remains, only one of those cities listed there was destroyed, Hazor. It's in the extreme north of ancient Israel, Palestine, uh, Hazor, um, that's in the text. It only says only that one was destroyed. And then also, um, uh, the archaeology kind of confirms this. Uh, it, and if you look, a lot of places are devoted to haram, a lot of goods and people. But they're not all actually destroyed. We can overread the text if we read it that way. In fact, the three main ones that are certainly completely overcome are Hazor, Ai, and Jericho, which archaeologists and historical scholars, um, I'll mention one last name of Hess, uh, have verified that those actually were more than likely military outposts. So think about, hey, somebody invades America and they took on Annapolis, West Point, uh, Fort Bragg. We would sort of get it. Then in a military conflict or a nation-state conflict or a political conflict, that's why those would be targets. And, and that if everything was sort of, whoever, the winner would probably kind of destroy that military outpost. Um, a couple of scholars, archaeological scholars who are respected, estimate that, for instance, in Jericho, it may have been manned by as few as 100 to 150 soldiers at that point in time. Well, that really brings down the scale of what we're talking about as opposed to how we imagine it mm -hmm. according to modern-day, let's say, World War I-scale warfare. There, there is another aspect just historically to the whole thing that we don't, especially as Americans, we don't immediately see. Um, and that is when you start talking about genocide, I mean, you're talking about wiping out an entire race of people. Yeah. It brings ethnicity into question. But in America, we're kind of this melting pot of different ethnicities and backgrounds and cultures under one nation. But in the time that we're reading about, there wasn't a real difference between your ethnicity and your nation. They kind of all lumped together and they were almost always associated with the worship of gods. And so when you're talking about God trying to bring creation, to bring people unto himself, when, he's, when he is trying to harem a particular, uh, a particular group, it's not like a hate for an ethnicity, it's not to wipe them off the map. Like it's to make way that all people could worship God. And there are incidences throughout all of these texts where there are individuals. Rahab is one. Mm -hmm. There's an entire people group. I'm I'm forgetting the name, 
and they sort of fake out Joshua. Remember, they they look like they're a poor people from far away. They put ashes on them. They 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 wear worn out saddles on purpose to act like they're far away and they're not a threat to Joshua. And they're like, "Can we come in with you guys and make an alliance and worship your God?" And Joshua goes. Yeah, since you're so far away, and it turns out they're close by. But Joshua honors that covenant, and those people get folded in. They become devoted to Yahweh in that sense. Now, there's also this language of every man, woman, child, harem. And so, to your point, one of the senses is that ultimate, the ultimate goal would be all peoples are devoted to God. And and so, yes, there's some this stage needs to be created where the worship of God, ultimately through the temple, and then ultimately through the suffering servant who becomes the temple and allows us to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. That all has to happen, so they need to be established in the land. But when it says every man, woman, and children, there, there's also another thing going on here. And this is both in the te- attested by the text and archaeology. When you first read it in Joshua, they're like, yeah, we took over every man, woman, and child. They're done. They're off the face of the earth. So is Jericho. They're off the face of the earth. And then later, in fact, the text we're going to preach, Terrell will preach at Huntersville this week. I'll preach at uh, Westlake. It says Deborah was the judge of Israel, and she would sit outside the city of Palms. That's Jericho. Mm-hmm. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Is the Bible lying? Is the Bible inconsistent? No. This is uh, also, it'll say, yeah, we destroyed this people, blah, blah, blah. And then at the end of Joshua, Joshua is very honest. And then through the book of Judges. But Joshua is very honest and goes, well, y'all have this territory and you're living us alongside these people who, wait a minute, in chapter 2 or 3 said they were completely harammed, destroyed, or devoted to God. Is is it both and? Is Joshua lying at the beginning? Is he lying at the end? No. There's a literary convention called that I'm very familiar with, having grown up on Tobacco Road basketball, called trash talking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In fact, there's a couple of scholarly articles out there called Ancient Trash Talking. And this is well attested in every culture in the area. In fact, one of the ways that they... Uh, yeah, so... Um, the, when it says every man, woman, children, it's kind of like me uh, back in February. No, first week of March when Carolina beat Duke in the final basketball game of the season. Like, dude, we annihilated Duke. It was so awesome. We just destroyed. It was a massacre. Well, they were all still alive. They walked off. They all shook hands, actually, mm-hmm. at the end of it. And they continue to coexist. So this is an actual thing, an overstatement. It's not lying. You, you could be historically arrogant and be like, man, they're lying in the Bible. That is historical arrogance and anti-intellectualism. This was a conventional way of speaking. It's also seen on formal treaties. You can read it in Egyptian hieroglyphics about their battles. You can read similar type language in ancient Babylon and their accounts that survive of battles, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's, it's a form of speech that I think we get and, and then you let the end of Joshua come back and go, oh, it was a mixed bag. And they actually didn't come in and just completely kill every living thing. Uh, and there's an invitation now for every nation to join them in the worship of Yahweh. That's one, and it points out one of the things I love about Scripture that, uh, for me, hits deeper in the Old Testament because that's not as familiar as the New Testament 
but nothing's in there by accident. So even the seemingly offhand comment of where she was seated, I, like I personally believe God, God puts those things in there to spur us to ask questions. Yes. To look deeper, to see the fuller picture and not just the surface of what he's saying. Yes. Um, one other point where it says men, women, children. Um, it's, 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 it's true in uh, today in military conflict as true throughout human history. People were not dumber then. They were fully developed homo sapiens. Their brains were the shape of ours. So when a, when a group has come, and the Israel, if you read the text, you'll know that a couple of times it says the fear of the Israelites had fallen upon all of Canaan. They knew this group was coming, um, and they were on their way. And so what happens when, when there's about to be a siege to a military outpost or any other town, um, women and children would have been mostly sent away, either up into the hills, and, and there's a, actually this is actually mentioned in a few details in the text, uh, or to relatives in other nearby villages. And, uh, and that's just how warfare happens. Now, did people die in this conquest? Yes, they did. I don't want to minim- I don't want to get all theoretical to the point where I would deny the people died here. Um, do you have any veterans in your family who actually fought in foreign wars? Uh, yeah, my father. Your father? Yeah, I mean, well, so he was he he majored in Russian, and so I didn't find this out until I was like twenty three. But he was a spy. Like he intercepted. What? I know. I was, tell me that when I'm 15. I think you're cooler now. <laughs> you never even um, told me that, even in the but, interview. But that's I probably should have. Um, <laughs> but but yeah. So he he would intercept and translate communications. Well, you th- think about the state of mind of Joshua and the Israelites, the Israelite warriors from each of the 12 tribes. And you think about the state of mind of, we're very familiar, most of us, from f- familial accounts, from news accounts. We like, some of us have an innate, inordinate interest in World War I, World War II history in particular. Um, and, uh, and we're proud of our American citizens who fought for a just and righteous cause um, and prevailed. And, and we read, and we sort of, un- sometimes we deal with, sometimes we don't deal with what they had to steel themselves toward to accomplish what in World War II, let's just take that, or World War I, was an a, a, a unimportant objective in a real fallen world that had to be done. Mm-hmm. And there's that side to it. I'm not going to... There's just that side to it, Jeff. Yeah. Uh, there is one of the things... So I've, I, over the years, uh, from various different groups, have had questions about this type of thing when you're looking at the Old Testament. And something that, that I am always amazed by in my own life is how affected I am by my, my worldview, like my perspective on things and how much that reads into how I understand something. But, but the people living at this time, for those folks, like life and death and warfare, like that was everyday stuff. And so God engaging them in that culture in that way wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have had the same rub for those people that it had for that it would have for us now. Um, and is one of the reasons that I would argue you see God's activity looking different in different nations and cultures even today 
uh, is less about God and what he can do and more about his creation and what they can meet him in. Hmm. That's well said. And, and I th- this brings me, I want to examine this from a couple of other angles. And, and when it comes to the fact that, yes, people died in this process and there was warfare, this is where I have to yield to a sovereign good God, Jeff, uh, whom I trust, I fully trust, knows what he's doing. At every point in uh, sacred history of moving along the, the story and the plan of redemption to conclusion, and will, as the scriptures say, will not the God of all the earth do what is right? Do I trust him? Yes. Do I struggle with this as a mystery and a reality? Yes, I do. But I, again, as I said, I struggle with it from inside the faith based on my trust and experience with Jesus. Some of you are struggling with this question from outside the faith, or you've got your faith a little bit up and you're walking around it. Um, focus on God's character revealed in Jesus. We, we don't look away from these episodes and questions, but through Jesus, you can wrestle with these questions from the inside of faith. Because Jesus did affirm this as God's word, not just for the Jews, but for his own self. And it was his custom to be in the synagogue every Sabbath, read out of this portion of God's word, and then teach. Uh, and so keep facing Jesus. So, so let's, let's go to a question, why? Why did this even have to happen? Um, and there are a few answers. I've already given one. God it, has a people And now there's a stage that he wants his people to be upon where God can display his redemptive acts in history and ultimately where the hero can come on the stage, Jesus, uh, the ultimate son of Israel and and son of God. But but here's another answer for why this even had to happen. I know you've studied this as well. (laughs) The Canaanite culture that inhabited this area was honestly uniquely dark and inhumane relative to many cultures you'll find in history. Um, my One of my favorite movies of all time was Raiders of the Lost Ark. When the second one came out, back in the, whenever that was, the 80s, late 80s, I was, it was that one, like the Dark Crystal or something, The the it was in, looked like South Asia, and there were all those enslaved children, and, and that diabolical religion. Canaanite, the, the archaeological and textual remains of much of Canaanite religion kind of reminds me of that, if you can picture that. Leviticus 18, and I'm telling you, archaeological digs bear this out. In Leviticus 18, there's a list of some of the things going on in these surrounding cultures. Uh, and at one point, by the way, in Leviticus, it says their practices are so vile, the land will vomit them out. And there is a sense of a need for cleansing. You've probably had that guttural reaction, listeners, when you've read about certain practices going on in other places. God, just wipe that out. Um, So here's a few of their practices. Incest, bestiality, cultic prostitution, which would mean young women, girls, trafficked into a setting where they had to service Farmers and other men who came in to, quote-unquote, satisfy the gods. There was ritualized child sacrifice. If you've been at Lake Forest for very long, you've heard me describe that as the archaeological remains to support the textual evidence of things like chimeneas, like some of us have on our back deck with an 
a shoot to roll a child into flames to immolate them unto the god Molech. Um, there's ritual, that's ritualized child sacrifice. It's so dark and gross that there's, by the way, there's something, I'm going to forget where, Jeff, you may remember, is it Exodus, Leviticus, or Deuteronomy, or maybe the end of Genesis, where God says, I'm going to bring you all into the promised land, but not until the sins of the Amorites are, have reached their limit. And that was like a hundred or so years before. Um, I don't know if you recall where that was. I'm going to say it was the end of Genesis and trust that no one's going to check it and call me out. I think that's probably it. We would love for you to check that because I'd like to go look that up again. Um, this is also, one theologian points out, this is a sneak peek at what will happen at the end of time. There is a day of judgment. Mm-hmm. There is a limit to the existence of sin on this planet. There is a limit to God's indulgence of human free will. He has given us the ability to to, uh, spit in his face, to give him two middle fingers, as these cultures were, um, uh, and live in inhumane manners like this. But that has a limit. It's an appointed time that Jesus said nobody knows but the Father. And he'll come and he'll go, that's it. Grace is over. Like the fact that history continues in the face of Nazism, Human trafficking today is God's grace to allow this all to continue. Um, But it will come a limit, and this is a preview to that. I thought that was super important and connected to the whole theology of what we know about God in the Bible and that God is a God of justice. A couple more things. Does God sneak up on them, the Canaanites? (laughs) No, not if you read the whole story, even back in Genesis. Again, there were 400, four centuries of the long-suffering patience of God, and there are a few times when God is inviting them to turn to Him. Most of them didn't. Some did. By the way, the fame of Israel grew while they were in Egypt. It says that the story of God rescuing them from Egypt, the story of God feeding them manna, that, and the name of Yahweh was on the lips of the Canaanites. Like, they, this was famous. And so Moses' whole father-in-law, brother-in-law family, the Kenites, they show up in, in Deborah, y'all. I'm just going to give you that little breadcrumb. Look for the Kenites in the, this chapter on Deborah in Judges. Uh, they all said, no, we're going with y'all. We're going with, with God Yahweh. He's the one true God. So they were all grappling with this, as you said even at a spiritual level. Um, so, um, this isn't about ethnicity, as you said. It's, it's also uh, people could come into Israel and convert, regardless of ethnicity. Um, anyway, so God drives those who choose to cling to these false gods out of the land over time. God wanted a people to tell his story. He's clearing a space for their story to develop, for them to tell this story to other nations, which, by the way, Israel is judged later for not telling God's story to the other nations, and then eventually a Messiah who does take it to the nations, Um, a Redeemer coming from a redeemed people. Um, I like this. One writer, uh, Joshua Ryan Butler, says this, quote, God drives the unruly, powerful tenants out of his garden home and gifts it to the least of the least, the homeless slaves. Mm. 
pretty cool. Yeah, it is. That's who Israel was. They were not this huge military monolith. They'd only existed for 40 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were outnumbered, outmanned, generally outgunned. A lot of these people have chariots. Uh, that's going to figure into the Deborah story. Uh, the Israelites, as they come in, they only stay in the hill country. It says Deborah had to go down to fight this battle, by the way. Uh, and against all the odds, God, for his good reasons, enters in, gives them the land to progress the whole story. Well, this probably stirs up even more questions than we have even answered, Jeff. Do you have concluding thoughts? Are you ready to give us the punchline? Uh, so, because I was an adult convert, right, 27 and a skeptic. Um, I still, that's still, my posture is is one of like, I want to get in there and know all the things. Uh, but I always had this view, and, and if you're outside the faith, this may also be your view, uh, that there's this like blind faith in Christianity. Well, because the Bible says so, yeah. and, and there's, no, there's no real thought given to it. And there's those that feel like critical thinking is antithetical to faith. Hmm. And, and I could not disagree more critical thinking questioning wondering like that that's the light that shines on the details like that's beautiful Um, and so one of the high level reasons for studying stuff like this is to stir up a curiosity to stir up questions to to look in the nooks and crannies and find the things that for each of us i know i've got my own things because of my own life that, that i see them and when i realize that God's been doing this since the beginning and is still doing it in my life now, it makes me feel connected to his story. Um, and that's really macro level what I'm hoping that our fo- that, that Lake Forest as a whole is going to gain from this year is an understanding that like the story is still going on and we are in it actively. Um, and it's okay if we don't fully understand our whole role or how things work because God is good, even when I don't understand them. And there are probably some Christians today, that's well said, Jeff, who almost might prefer a clear mission akin to Joshua's, hey, let me just go fight some bad guys. <laughs> yeah. That would, might feel more actionable for some Christians But Jesus has made our mission very clear. As the Father sent me, so send I you. Jesus sent, uh, God, the Father sent Jesus not to condemn the world, but to save it through knowledge of him. Uh, And that's how we're sent, in the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, to redeem the world, heal the world's hurts through the power of the Holy Spirit, both physically, where we can apply the healing salve of works of service and mercy to hurts in our community, uh, hurting children around the world the way that our church has a unique heart for, and when we can speak the good news of God's love through Jesus into hurting lonely people. So let us stay on that mission together, Lake Forest Church. And our newest way we're doing that is by starting a new mission outpost in the university city area. God may call some of you friends who live in that zip code or you have a heart for this new kind of church to be part of that church. And if he does, you have my blessing. I'm not saying it won't hurt my feelings a tiny little bit, but you have my blessing if that is God's calling on your life because we're called to be a multiplying church. And that's, that's one of the macro parts of our mission. We sacrifice. We give away dollars and people here at Lake Forest. And mojo, we don't just keep it for ourselves. Uh, we give it away. 
so that there are fresh, creative gospel communities uh, on the same mission in other parts of town. Jeff, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Folks, that's it for the Ask LFC podcast this week. We will catch you next week.